Uh, there's no high school. High schoolers will be staying in the sanctuary today. What? She said something down there. I couldn't hear. Okay. Well, thank you. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to forsake our study in the book of Hebrews, take a topical twist considering it is Father's Day and looking at, okay, who are we going to talk about this Father's Day? Well, I decided to look at a man who, in the scriptures, very little is said, and he has said very little himself. Very little is said about Joseph, not Joseph who was in the court in Egypt, but a quiet carpenter in Nazareth. This man we have much to learn from as fathers, although nowhere in the Bible is any of his words recorded. And so we see the example that Joseph set. I see the example that my father set in in my life in, in so many ways. Now, my father, for the vast majority of his life, was an unsaved man, but he still lived his life by biblical morals, and he still was a man of integrity, and he taught me some key things. Now, there's, I, I've seen it on Facebook mostly, and yeah, I understand it's kind of a joke and all, but it's insulting. It's insulting. I, I, I saw some women that were kind of joking around. Yeah, you know, when we get sick, we have to get up and take care of the kids. When the men get sick, it's like a one-year-old, da, 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 and I'm insulted by that. That wasn't my father. That wasn't the example that set, was set in my house. Yeah, maybe he was kind of a baby when he got sick at night, but he pulled his body out of bed in the morning, and he went, and he earned a living. He went, and he was steadfast in what he knew his responsibility was. There's plenty of days that he did go to work when he was sick. He was a man. He was a man to be reckoned with. My father was a man's man. You didn't want to cross him. My father, I knew he loved me, but I also knew that he could take my life at any moment. And I respected that. I had a fear for my father, and a fear for the man of God within the home is a good thing. I know it kept me out of making a lot of bad decisions. Today, well, the impact that the Lord had on my life through that man, it continues today. I'm doing some work in my office, and I'm making a cabinet to fit in with some shelves that somebody had given me, and I'm trying to match them, and I was back there on Friday and doing the woodwork and thinking, you know, if my dad was here, he he would like that, And, and I still think along those lines. I still think along the lines of pleasing my father because he was such a presence in my life wasn't there all the time, and I just mean he put a lot of hours in in his job, probably more so than he wanted, but nonetheless had an effect upon my life. And so we'll be looking at Joseph here this morning, and again, nowhere in the Bible do we see where this man had spoken any words. Matter of fact, when there were words to be spoken, it was mom who was quick to speak. In Luke chapter 2, verse 48, it says, His mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I sought you anxiously. I would imagine his father was just kind of staring at him. And I know how my, not that Jesus sinned, Jesus never sinned at all, so don't get me wrong on that, but I would imagine Joseph was a man who saw the worry on mom and was wondering, what is it that you have been doing? In James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, it says, Let every man, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Why is that? Why should every man be, be swift to hear and slow to speak? Because mom won't be. 
Mom's going to speak what is upon her mind. She's going to address the situation. And I've found that to be valuable in my relationship with my wife as mother and father. Mom is quick to speak. She can't do anything to me. She's in Vacaville with her mother right now. Matter of fact, you could probably say hi to her. I think she's watching. We're streaming the service. If you want to say hi to Mrs. Pastor Mike. Yeah. <laughs> and her mom, Karen. But I see the balance that God has given both my wife and myself. One of us slow or quick to react. The other one, kind of take it in, kind of process it through. And Joseph seemed to be such a man. As with most men, you see, especially with Joseph, the character of his son speak volumes. Now, we know Jesus. When you got Jesus, it makes the, uh, the, the office of father so much easier to occupy. But he also raised up a James and Jude. James, who wrote the book of James, and Jude, who wrote the book of Jude in, in the Bible. Joseph, he himself was a man's man. He was a carpenter. He was working with his hands. See, when I was building what I was building, I used a shop saw, I used a table saw, I used a saber saw, I used a router, and I used two or I used three different sanders. And they were all power tools. They didn't have power tools back then. You worked by the sweat of your brow back then, and you built muscle back then. It was hard work. But Joseph... Joseph was a man who worked strenuously, he worked seriously, and very sweaty. Sometimes dad, sometimes dad, because of the necessity of going forth and making a living, can so easily fade into the background, providing for his family. Mom can usually be a bigger part of a child's life. I remember sitting at our dinner table and my children asking permission to do something, and I noticed they're looking at my wife. I'm sitting right there, but they're looking at my wife and asking her. And my wife says, what are you asking me for? Your father is sitting right there. But part of that is because I was out making the money, and she was there tending the children, and the children kind of become used to that. And at times, Dad, Dad can even sort of kind of feel left out. At the cross, Mary was promised a sword to pierce her heart, but Joseph at that time very probably was absent from the body, but present with the Lord. He would more than likely had gone on to be with the Lord. Description of a dedicated dad, he's a person who gives of himself for the betterment of the family. He loves mom and he loves his hobbies and all, but his family always comes first. The money that he used to have in his wallet, it's replaced by pictures, pictures of his children and now pictures of his grandchildren. He's a man who goes off to work every day, even when he doesn't want to, but he knows that he has to. And a lot of times, maybe he doesn't say, I love you, but in his mindset, his love is expressed through the sacrifice that self makes. And again, it's important, especially for his wife, but definitely his children as well, that he be acknowledged and recognized for that. Not that he's seeking praise, but he needs, so needs the encouragement. Because so many of us, we get up and we go to a job that we can feel so beat up in. But we know that this is what we've got to do. We know that we have to provide for our families, and so we do it. It's what we've been taught to do. It's what we've been trained to do. 
We've been taught to take the bullet, if you will. We've been taught to sacrifice. We've been taught, well, if you need more, then you've got to work harder. And again, that's the example that I've been given, although I'm not so much sure that the example is given today. But as men, it's something that we need to embrace. We need to be protective of our wives once more. We've got to be mentors over our children and not giving that over to our wives. But we need to embrace that responsibility. My wife and I, we usually gave our children two devotions every day because we knew what sinners they really were, because we knew where they came from. And my wife, she was there when they woke up. She would give them a devotion, but it was necessary for me, even though I was tired at times, even though I didn't feel like it at times, but I needed to set that example. It's the example that we continue to try to give to our grandchildren even today. My father, as disconnected as he was at some times, he's the one who taught me to hit a baseball. He's the one who definitely taught me how to bait a hook. Fishing was his passion, and he loved to have us out there with him. As far as fixing the car, my dad had a Corvair Monza, so there was a lot of fixing involved in that, if you're familiar with it. And guess who was the flashlight holder? A common phrase when I was working on a car with my father was, hey, dummy, not my eyes on the work. So I learned how to hold the flashlight. Very rarely could I turn a wrench, but it gave me a passion to do so. And as dad did, so did I become. Dad, dad may be called dad, whether he's step, foster, or adopted. He's the man who gives heart and soul into this great ministry that God has laid before us. A true description of a dad is not the one that becomes one, but the man who is one. The one who puts forth the effort and gives of the time and the sweat of his brow that he gives at work. He's just as diligent within the home. He knows what he needs to do and he stands up and does it. It doesn't matter what the attitude of the wife is or the children is. It's what he knows to do in the sight of God and follows through in obedience, knowing that God is going to bless. It's not predicated upon the attitude of the child or even the success of the child. This is a unilateral ministry from the father to the child in that we keep going and we never, never, never give up. And so we have Joseph here, this man who is very dedicated but uncomplicated, whose life gives us insight into what a dad is to be. And the first thing that I see with Joseph is, is that a father, a father needs to be loving. A father needs to be loving. Doesn't necessarily need to be emotional, but he does need to be loving, and it does need to be emotion that is there. When it comes to the emotion of love... A man best expresses it through sacrifice. That's what we've been taught. That's what we've been trained. My wife, well, I've never seen you cry. My wife, I rarely see you emotional unless you're getting upset at something or laughing hysterically at a monkey on TV or something like that. But other than that, well, that's just the way I have been taught. That's the way I have been trained. And I look at it as stability within the home. I look at her, well, God created us in, our, in his image. He created the two to become one. And the idea was she has those elements and she freely expresses them as she should. And I'm the counterbalance to that. And now it may be a little bit different in your home and, and that's okay. You need to be who God has created you to be, who he has called you to be. But again, as I said before, we've been taught to train, to suck it up, to take one for the team, and to be the anchor. In so many years, 
there has been this movement of men expressing their emotions. There's been a, a sissification of manhood, of fatherhood as of, well, again, not as of late in the past 20 years or something like that. It seems like to be a man is a bad thing. To be, to be masculine has become a dirty word in our society, and it ought never to be. It's to the detriment of society that that happens. Now, I'm not saying for men, rise up and be jerks, because you do that pretty good without me having to tell you. It's to process these things through the Word of God, but it's to embrace the man whom God has called you to be. God has not called me to be feminine. He has not called me to be over-emotional. That's not who I am. Now, men do get emotional. They do cry. They are tender. Their hearts do break, and they do worry. But when it comes to dad, for the most part, very rarely will you ever see this on the outside. Very rarely will you see this expressed because I just know if I get emotional to the degree that my wife gets emotional, we're going to have a madhouse. And my wife's not overly emotional, so don't get me wrong on that. But again, there's got to be that cool, there's got to be that calm spirit, that cool, calm spirit in the midst of all that goes on. It's part of the job. See, when things seem to be falling apart, God or dad, God, God through dad, needs to take the lead. It's in things of this sort that God, God has made dad a little different. There's a story of a woman who walked into her newborn baby's room. She saw her husband there, the baby's father, and he was standing over the crib and he was looking intently down. And she came up behind him and put his arms, or her arms around him and said, Dear, tell me, what are you thinking? And he's looking down and he says, I can't believe they can make a crib like this for eighty nine ninety nine. We're just wired a little bit different. Now, the first example of love that we see in Joseph's life is towards his wife. It's towards Mary. I had you turn to Matthew. I think I said chapter 2, but chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now, being a just man, there has to be a basis for being just, and his basis is God and the word of God. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, keep in mind what's going on here is that Mary's pregnant, and there's two people who know that Joseph's not the father, Mary and Joseph. Now, Joseph, he has every biblical right to put her to death, to have her stoned, but he wants to do the right thing. He doesn't always want to do the legalistic thing, but he wants to do what is right in this particular situation. And he's not wanting to make her a public example. That would be dragging her out into the city gate and having her stone. But he was going to put her away secretly. Joseph, Joseph's a man who, the little we see in the scriptures, he's done everything the right way with Mary. He's going through the process. He's taking all the proper steps. More than likely, they've made plans for the future and possibly even plans for children. But now she's pregnant. And he doesn't know who the father is, although, once again, he does know it's not him. Don't let that get by you. That'd have to be a really hard thing. This woman that I'm betrothed to, you can think in terms of engagement, but a betrothal would usually last about a year before he could come and take her for his wife. It was a time when faithfulness in this commitment 
would be essential. If you committed adultery, it would be looked at as adultery. And now there she is. There's no doubt about it. She's pregnant. And although, again, he has every right to make a public spectacle of her, he sets aside feelings of vengeance and bitterness. It's what a husband needs to do when his wife, well, when his wife can be hard to handle or situations or circumstances arise that, well, can cause divisions within the home. How is that overcome? Well, we're told the ministry of a husband in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. It's what a good and godly dad does. And that's what Joseph is doing. I mean, think of how he needed to swallow his pride. The whole town knows and understands what's going on here. Because Mary had been away and now she comes back pregnant. Everybody knows it's not Joseph's child. But he's going to sacrificially love her. He's setting a standard here. He's setting a standard for the man who's going to have responsibility to have influence over Messiah. Now, guys, you're not going to have influence over Messiah, but you're going to have influence over one of Messiah's children. And that being the case, I need to follow this example that we can so easily react with, with anger. We can so easily react in unreasonable ways that accomplish absolutely nothing. But this ministry to our wives and that which extends through to our children has to be seasoned with grace. Because think about it, guys, no matter what your child has done, and let me put it this way, no matter what you know that your child has done, they've probably done a lot worse, you just don't know about it, you've probably done worse than them. You probably have done worse than them. They're probably sitting there thinking, no, they haven't, but they don't know everything either. And what did God give you? God gave you grace. God gave you grace, and he continues to give grace today. I'm not talking about overlooking sin. That's a tragedy to do. I'm talking about dealing with sin, but about dealing with sin in a very proper manner. Joseph's second example of love is his love towards Jesus and that he adopted Jesus Christ as his own. Again, Nazareth, that was a small town. Everybody knows what's going on here, but Joseph, Joseph knows what God has called him to do. We see that again in Matthew chapter 1, and so he adopts Jesus Christ as his own. So Joseph, not just a dad, but he's also a stepdad. And as he's taken him for his own, sees the responsibility. We are told in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, although it's hard, it's the natural thing for me to do, is to go out, for, for dads to do, to go out and to work hard and to make a living. It's what God has called us to do, who he has prepared us to do but also to not provide for my own. Now, the idea here is, is the provision that they need to live, but what's one of the chief provisions that they need to live is the Word of God. And so I have to be of the mindset to season the Word of God with that physical provision that God provides through me that my children would be all that God had called them to be. The next thing that I see is that a dad is to be devoted. Men, I've read this list before, but we can be so self-contained. I don't need a wife to open my jar. I can open my own jars. Same hairstyle. I've had the same hairstyle for so many years, and I'll probably have it for the rest of my life. My wife, she changes hers every so often. I buy my underwear $10 in a three-pack. 
I can do my own car maintenance. Gray hair and wrinkles just simply add character. If another guy shows up at the party wearing the same outfit as I have, I have a friend for the rest of my life. We can do all of our personal grooming with a pocket knife and a pair of wire cutters. Christmas shopping can be accomplished for 25 people on the day before Christmas in 45 minutes. I'm self-contained and, well, I I can so easily be the Lone Ranger. That's not always a good thing. Sometimes I do need to sit and talk. Sometimes I do need to express myself. Sometimes I do need to invite her in and, and maybe the rest of the family in, using wisdom for that. When my wife and I went through the most difficult time, there was a lot of things that I, well, we kept pretty much everything of that difficult time. We almost lost our house. We kept it from our children. It was nothing that they needed to deal with. It's something that we needed to deal with. And there was even some things that I determined, and my wife may not agree with it, but again, she's not here, so too bad. But I kept from her certain things that I needed to take upon myself. It was a hard thing, but these are things that God enables us to do. Because, see, Dad, ultimately it's Dad who carries the load. But don't get me wrong, it's not apart from Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the only way that Dad carries the load is through Christ who will enable him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Joseph, he is a man with dreams. He's a man with aspirations of his own. Because of his devotion to his wife and son, though, they change. They change based upon he married that woman. They changed based upon this child that we have. And so he gave up his dreams and his aspirations for the betterment of the family and really for all of eternity. Look again in Matthew chapter, this time in chapter 2 at verse 13. Now, Joseph's of the mindset, he's got this wife and she's pregnant and we have to go down for the census and down into Jerusalem, uh, actually down into Bethlehem. And so he goes down, they're down in Bethlehem, the baby's born and everything changes. Isn't that kind of how it is, guys? The baby's born, everything changes. Now, when they had departed, verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2, now when they had departed, behold, check it out. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And I can imagine that angel, and he didn't argue with the angel. Wait, wait a minute, I got a business back up north in Nazareth. I, I've left some things, on, some things I got to take care of. Listen, I, I, I've got a future that is planned out. I got a child. I can't just go marching down to Egypt. But the thing about it is, this is what he knew that God has called him to do. And because he has this family that he knows is his, and, and because he knows what the word of God tells him to do, he sets off in God's direction. It's essential, obviously, for the health of the family here. I know God is going to protect them, but this is what God has set before him. Look down at verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. It's time to go back. Why? Why? Because this is what God has called him to do. 
what God has called him to do, he's willing to set aside his desires for the will of God. And just as he was devoted to his family, he was devoted to God. And look at Luke, I'll just read it, but Luke chapter 2, verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. That was a requirement to present yourself there. It wasn't a requirement necessarily to present your whole family, but he knew it was essential that as, God, as, as dad did, so his son would. And he wanted to set the example for the family as a whole. And one of the best examples, it's one of the things that my father did, was getting us to church every Sunday. Now, it was a Catholic church at the time, but it's something that my wife and I, even in an unsafe state, took up and went to church every Sunday just because that standard had been set in our lives. And then when we were saved, we understood the necessity of getting our children to church every Sunday as well. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51 and 52, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subjected to him, speaking of Jesus. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, you've got the perfect example of Christ, but also see the necessity of training your children up in the way that they should go. It says, When he, when Jesus went down with them, Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth, he was subjected to them. Because he was subjected to them, he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God. Are your children, can they say the same thing because of your ministry within the home? Are they increasing in wisdom? I'm talking about biblical. Are they increasing in stature? I'm talking about the results of biblical wisdom and favor with God. If they're subject to you, what is it that they're learning? What is it that they're... Are, are they learning the ways of the world? Or are they learning the will of God? Because again, the ways of the world, they don't need you to teach them that. That comes from the nature that they possess. And if there's any other details they need to know, little Billy on the playground is going to inform them. You don't need to teach them in that. You need to teach them in the ways of the Lord. Because ultimately, your children are going to lie on their deathbed. And what is it that is going to have impact on their lives? You'll probably be long gone. Pray that you are. It's a tragedy when a parent outlives his child. But nonetheless, they'll lay on their deathbed. And what will it be that you have been given to them to prepare them for that day? You need to consider that. There's a story of a little boy who was playing on a Sunday morning while his dad was in a lounge chair reading the paper. And the father said, son, get ready for Sunday school. And the little boy asked, are you coming with me today, dad? And the man replied, no, I'm not coming, but I want you to hurry up and get ready. The little boy then said, did you used to go to Sunday school when you were a boy, dad? He said, I most certainly did. And the little boy walked away and mumbled, yeah, and I bet you it won't do me any good either. It's our responsibility to enter in not just to enter into the doors of the church, but the Bible does give us a command, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren, but I have to enter in with all of my heart. Because as I say so many times, the greatest tragedy within the body of Christ is somebody who comes in here and plays the role of a Christian but goes home and acts like a heathen. Just as little Bobby, Billy, whoever this was, this little boy saw right through, the kids will see right through in your life as well. Is Christianity real in your life? When you were saved, were you born again? Was there a change? That change is for you to know, but it's also for others, those close to you, to see. 
that they would see the presence of the living God in your life, knowing and understanding that they can have the presence of God in their lives as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This man has provoked, the story I just read, his child to wrath. And we must consider, are we doing the same thing? The third thing that I see a dad is to be wise. When Jesus charged John to care for his mother, we can draw the conclusion that Joseph was not around at that time. Joseph just had a limited amount of time to do what a dad is supposed to do. And although the Lord Jesus Christ is a special case, he still raised up other godly children. We don't know what happened to Joseph. More than likely, 99% of theologians say that he he did die by the time of the crucifixion, which I, I really believe that is what transpired. But while he was there, Joseph, Joseph was all in. He was all in in what, I can't imagine he knew the whole big picture. I can't imagine he could possibly comprehend that. But nonetheless, he knew what God had called him to do. Just as surely as Joseph had the voice of an angel that appeared to him on multiple occasions, you got the word of God. You've got the word of God. And because we have the word of God, we are responsible men And it's not about our women giving us the elbow, or it's not about women taking these things, making their list, and reminding us about them every single day. It's about us having the mindset that today I'm going to rise up and do these things. Even if you are, whatever you're doing, you can always do better. You can always do more. And isn't your children's lives worth it? Isn't it worth it? I remember my father, when he was diagnosed with... uh, colon cancer and it eventually went to his liver and that's what killed him but he had the surgery for the colon cancer and I was there and I spent the night with my mom and stayed there and um, on the day he was coming home I went to the hospital and we brought him home and my wife and my sister my uh, sister-in-law they did up the living room and they had balloons and all kinds of stuff and I remember my dad sat down in his chair he wasn't sure if he was going to make it back to even sit in that chair but he did surgery went well And we're sitting there, and he's thinking, oh, man, what a jerk that I have been. Because what he was looking at, he was looking at the love of his family that was expressed to him. And that can be a humbling thing, because when you see that love expressed to you, you're reminded of your shortcomings. You're reminded of your failures. And I really believe that my father was reminded of those things at that time. And so as there's going to be shortcomings, there's going to be failures. We're imperfect people. As much as depends upon you, seek out the Lord Jesus Christ. Have holiness be a a mainstay within your home because you are the man of that house. Again, we we see the damage that has been done to male leadership. That's of the devil. That's of the enemy. If you've regressed, if you've retreated in this area, you need to man up, Tinkerbell. You need to take the mantle of leadership one more time. You need to take it up and you need to possess it. And you need to understand this is what God blesses. If your wife comes up against you, she's coming up against God. You continue to push forward. Because I guarantee you, if you were going to go out to go play in a game or do something like that and she came up against you, you'd probably do it anyway. So how much more so should you do it anyway here? But I'm talking about godliness here. I'm not talking about exercising the flesh. We've had too much of that. So examine your home. 
What are the things that you've allowed in your home? Are, are they there for the purpose of godliness? Or are they there for the purpose of the flesh? I'm not talking about... I, I watched a movie the other night. I watched uh, the Jason Bourne movie. There was no cursing in it. There was no sex in it. I thought that's pretty good. Of course, there was a lot of beating people up, but I think that's okay for a Christian, especially for a pastor. You're supposed to beat people up every once in a while. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. Don't get me wrong. We're not stoics. But I've got to re-examine the things that I do allow within my home. How is this leading towards holiness? How is this leading towards godliness? And again, as you are the one who are the leader of the house, the Bible says that not many of you become teachers, James 3.1, because you'll be held to a higher degree of accountability. You need to examine these things because one day you'll stand before the Lord and give an account of those things which God has called you to do. So, enough of beating up the fathers. Now let's beat up the children for a little bit. Let's turn to Luke chapter 15. Beating up and encouragement. There's a fine line. Most of you know the story of the parable of the lost son. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. I'm going to uh, read through this account, make a few comments, and then we'll get ready to close. Luke 15, 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Now, when he says a certain man, he's, this isn't a, just a story. This is something that has occurred. Verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and journeyed himself to a citizen, joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and his, in his compassion and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and, alive, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. As tough and as hard as a dad can be, there's three ways here son or daughter, that you can do damage to his heart. The first one that we see is to withdraw from him. The son made it clear by his actions and attitudes that father wasn't important. That'll break your father's heart, no matter how hard your father's heart is. It looks like dad was not included in the decisions that he made, even though they would lead to his detriment, they still had impact upon his father's heart. He seemed tired of waiting for dad to die. 
Matter of fact, the things of the world and what the world had to offer, that was a higher priority in his life than what dad had to offer. Not truly understanding dad. See, kids will all go through some sort of pig pod lesson. They'll turn prodigal at some time to some sort of degree. But we see that it all started with this slow withdrawal from father. Secondly, want to break a dad's heart? Waste what he gave you. Waste what he gives you. Make all of his examples, his words, and his deeds of no influence in your life, and you'll get them real good. Go according to your own will and according to your own direction and forsake his, and that will hurt his heart. In Proverbs 23, verses 19 through 25, it says, Hear, my son, and be wise, and guard your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and down, uh, drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth, and do not sell it. Also wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice." James Dobson of Focus of the Family said, We're so concerned about giving children what we didn't have when growing up that we neglect to give them what we did have. Maybe we didn't have material things, but we did have an appreciation of the value of things and the willingness to work for it. The third thing, the third thing and most sure way to do damage to a dad's heart is violate his moral values. The son realized it in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Know this, son or daughter, you are the only possession that your father will be able to take to heaven with him. There's no other possession that he has that he is able to take to heaven. It's only his son or his daughter, that he has that opportunity, and it's that opportunity that I pray he pours his life into. It will tear his heart apart if it appears you'll burn with the things and the stuff. So that's the negative. Three ways, three ways in closing to delight a dad's heart. Want to delight the heart of your father? Seek out his fellowship. Just simply spend time with him. Again, verses 17 through 19. Let me get back to, to Luke. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him. Now, I know the circumstances that surrounded him, but when those circumstances came up, this guy wanted to be with dad. He looked at dad that's going to be the solution to what it is that he has brought upon himself. I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And you see the attitude of the father. He had to have such a grieving heart. I really believe, it doesn't say this here, but I really believe that dad knew that son was in the pig pods. He knew that his son had fallen upon hard times, but he knew he needed to allow God to have his perfect will. Now, what was key about this son, this change, was the repentance, the coming back to the father. 
knowing that he was able, there was that avenue, even though there was shame here, that he would overcome the shame and enter into the love of the Father, and he did come back to the Father. Now, that's what concerns most of us in this type of a situation. What's dad going to do? What's father going to say? But father, being a man of the Lord, as his son came back, his father, understanding the grace of God, gave grace and welcomed him back, even fell upon his neck and, and, and kissed him. Cliff Barrow said he was the worship leader for Billy Graham. There are 12 words that hold the family together. They are, I was wrong. I am sorry, please forgive me, I love you. While the father was hurt when his son rejected him, his heart was gladdened when the son returned and desired to be with him when he came back to him. The second way to delight the heart of your dad is to respect his authority. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your child. And you need to look at the differences here, the impact that dad had upon his life as far as the son's going out and coming back. He left well-dressed, he came back in rags. He left clean and came back dirty. He left pure but came back tainted with sin. He left arrogantly saying, give me, but he came back humbly saying, make me, make me a servant. The son came back with a humble spirit, respecting dad's authority, and he got so much more than dad's things and stuff. He got the affection of his father and a lesson that was going to last him a lifetime. Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-four: the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. The third way to delight the heart of your dad is to share in his joy. Again, verse 20, he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. How his dad's joy shared in, just to enter in, just to be there, to have that fellowship, to come and to visit, to give a phone call maybe, drop an email or regular mail. My wife, every once in a while, will write me a card just saying how much she appreciates me. And it's just kind of a neat thing when people take the time and to write something on a card and to put it in an envelope, address it, and drop it in the mail. I mean, when you get something in the mail, isn't there kind of an excitement about that? My son, Sean, who is in uh, Arizona right now, he sent me a Father's Day card. And it was just a neat thing just to get the Father's Day card in them, especially from Sean, especially before Father's Day rather than three months after Father's Day. <laughs> it's the coming out of yourself and entering into worship and praising God together. My greatest joy is seeing them give of themselves in serving the Lord and raising up children as they have been raised up as well. So things to consider. Things to consider from the Bible and not from the world. The world is fading away. There's no doubt about that. And biblical morals are non-existent for the most part. They've redefined so much that they can't define who a husband and wife is. So how in the world can they define what a father is? They can't. But we have it well laid out before us. And as God told Moses, I set before you today life and death. Choose life. Set before you today who a father is to be. Choose God's way. Choose God's way, and I guarantee you, in time, you will reap reward. You'll see the effect that you're able to have upon these lives. And if you've messed up all the way through and to this day, 
make today to be the day that you start. God is the God of new beginnings, and never, never, never is it too late to start to do the right thing, to do the godly thing. The Apostle John said in 3 John, verse 4, there's only one chapter, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Father, I just pray that, Lord, we would all be able to experience that joy, to understand that our children live their lives based upon God's word. And I just pray, Father, that we would be a people who are steadfastly in these things, that, God, we would look at your word and that we would look at the generations before and the victories in our life and realize that this thing, these things these things work. As we do these things, we're blessed. As we don't, then we see the curses that have come about. And so, Father, I pray as men that we would stand up and that, Father, we would be those who would be leaders in our homes and in our communities. That, Father, the standard has been set so long ago in the Word, I pray that we would once again embrace that standard. Right now, I'd ask everybody who's a father to stand up and just allow me to pray over you. Everybody who's a father here today, just stand up where you're at. Father, you see these men who stand before you, and it can be so easy to have the title father, but I pray, Lord, that we would be dads, that we would be hands-on, that we would be personal people. And so, Father, just the things that we talked about and whatever conviction may have come about, I pray that you would fill these men with your Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come upon them and empower them and enable them to do the work which you have set before them. Lord, we see that the days are evil, but we see we're training up generations to enter into that society. I pray, Father, that they would be able to enter in in victory. And so, Father, I lift up those who are here today, these men here today, those maybe watching online, that, God, you would use them to your glory, that, Father, we would know and understand what is right and what is true, and we would steadfastly continue in these things. And so, once again, Father, we just thank you for this day when it's an opportunity to say amen, but I pray, Father, that our amen would extend throughout not just the next week, but throughout the rest of our lives. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness. We thank you, Father, that it's you who have set the standard. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, enable us to follow through faithfully, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can all stand.